0: Chapter 10 of Twenty Years After. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Twenty Years After by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter 10 Monsieur Porthos Duvaillon de Bracieux de Pierrefonds. Thanks to what Aramis had told him, D'Artagnan, who knew already that Porthos called himself Duvaillon, was now aware that he styled himself, from his estate, de Bracieux, and that he was, on account of this estate, engaged in a lawsuit with the Bishop of Noyon. It was then in the neighbourhood of Noyon that he must seek that estate. His itinerary was promptly determined. He would go to Damartin, from which place two roads diverge, one towards Soissons, the other towards Compiègne. There he would inquire concerning the Bracieux estate, and go to the right or to the left according to the information obtained. Planchette? who was still a little concerned for his safety after his recent escapade, declared that he would follow d'Artagnan even to the end of the world, either by the road to the right or by that to the left. Only he begged his former master to set out in the evening for greater security to himself. D'Artagnan suggested that he should send word to his wife so that she might not be anxious about him, but planchet replied with much sagacity that he was very sure his wife would not die of anxiety through not knowing where he was while he planchet remembering her incontinence of tongue would die of anxiety if she did know this reasoning seemed to d'artagnan so satisfactory that he no further insisted and about eight o'clock in the evening the time when the vapours of night begin to thicken in the streets he left the hotel de la chevrette and followed by planchet set forth from the capital by way of the Saint-Denis gate. At midnight the two travellers were at Damartin, but it was then too late to make inquiries. The host of the Seigneur de la Croix had gone to bed. The next morning D'Artagnan summoned the host, one of those sly Normans who say neither yes nor no, and fear to commit themselves by giving a direct answer. D'Artagnan, however, gathered from his equivocal replies that the road to the right was the one he ought to take, and on that uncertain information he resumed his journey. At nine in the morning he reached Nanteuil, and stopped for breakfast. His host here was a good fellow from Picardy, who gave him all the information he needed. The Bracheux estate was a few leagues from Villers-Cotteret. D'Artagnan was acquainted with Villers-Cotteret, having gone thither with a court on several occasions, for at that time Villers-Cotteret was a royal residence he therefore shaped his course towards that place, and dismounted at the Dauphineur. There he ascertained that the bracheux estate was four leagues distant, but that Porthos was not at bracheux Porthos had, in fact, been involved in a dispute with the Bishop of Noyon in regard to the Pierrefonds property, which adjoined his own, and, wary at length of a legal controversy which was beyond his comprehension, he put an end to it by purchasing Pierrefonds, and added that name to his others. He now called himself du Vaillon de bracheux de Pierrefonds, and resided on his new estate. The travellers were therefore obliged to stay at the hotel until the next day. The horses had done ten leagues that day and needed rest. It is true they might have taken others, but there was a great forest to pass through, and Planchet, as we have seen, had no liking for forests after dark. There was another thing that Planchet had no liking for, and that was starting on a journey with a hungry stomach accordingly d'artagnan on awaking found his breakfast waiting for him it need not be said that planchet in resuming his former functions resumed also his former humility and was not ashamed to make his breakfast on what was left by d'artagnan it was nearly eight o'clock when they set out again their course was clearly defined they were to follow the road toward compiegne and on emerging from the forest turned to the right the morning was beautiful and in this early springtime the birds sang on the trees and the sunbeams shone through the misty glades like curtains of golden gauze in other parts of the forest the light could scarcely penetrate through the foliage and the stems of two old oak trees the refuge of the squirrel startled by the travellers were in deep shadow there came up from all nature in the dawn of day a perfume of herbs flowers and leaves which delighted the heart D'Artagnan sick of the closeness of Paris, thought that when a man had three names of his different estates joined one to another, he ought to be very happy in such a paradise. Then he shook his head, saying, "'If I were Porthos and D'Artagnan came to make me such a proposition as I am going to make to him, I know what I should say to it.' As to Planchet, he thought of little or nothing, but was happy as a hunting-hound in his old master's company." at the extremity of the wood d'artagnan perceived the road that had been described to him and at the end of the road he saw the towers of an immense feudal castle oh oh he said i fancied this castle belonged to the ancient branch of orléans can porthos have negotiated for it with the duke de longueville faith exclaimed planchette here's land in good condition if it belongs to m. porthos i wish him joy soon's cried d'artagnan don't call him Porthos, nor even vaillon call him de Bracieux or de pierrefonds thou wilt knell out damnation to my mission otherwise as he approached the castle which had first attracted his eye d'artagnan was convinced that it could not be there that his friend dwelt the towers though solid and as if built yesterday were open and broken one might have fancied that some giant had cleaved them with blows from a hatchet on arriving at the extremity of the castle d'artagnan found himself overlooking a beautiful valley in which at the foot of a charming little lake stood several scattered houses which humble in their aspect and covered some with tiles others with thatch seemed to acknowledge as their sovereign lord a pretty chateau built about the beginning of the reign of henry the fourth and surmounted by four stately gilded weathercocks. d'artagnan no longer doubted that this was porthos's pleasant dwelling-place the road led straight up to the château, which, compared to its ancestor on the hill, was exactly what a fop of the coterie of the Duc d'Angers would have been beside a knight in steel armor in the time of Charles the Seventh. D'Artagnan spurred his horse on and pursued his road, followed by Planchet at the same pace. In ten minutes D'Artagnan reached the end of an alley, regularly planted with fine poplars and terminating in an iron gate, the points and crossed bars of which were gilt, in the midst of this avenue was a nobleman, dressed in green, and with as much gilding about him as the iron gate, riding on a tall horse. On his right hand and his left were two footmen, with the seams of their dresses laced. A considerable number of clowns were assembled, and rendered homage to their lord. "'Ah!' said D'Artagnan to himself, "'can this be the seigneur de Vaillant de Bracieux de Pierrefonds? Well a day! How he has shrunk since he gave up the name of Porthos!" This cannot be, Monsieur Porthos," observed Planchet, replying as it were to his master's thoughts. Monsieur Porthos was six feet high. This man is scarcely five. Nevertheless, said D'Artagnan, the people are bowing very low to this person. As he spoke, he rode toward the tall horse, to the man of importance and his valets. As he approached, he seemed to recognize the features of this individual. Jesus! cried Planchet, can it be? at this exclamation the man on horseback turned slowly and with a lofty air and the two travellers could see displayed in all their brilliancy the large eyes the vermilion visage and the eloquent smile of mousqueton it was indeed mousqueton mousqueton as fat as a pig rolling about with rude health puffed out with good living who recognising d'artagnan and acting very differently from the hypocrite Bazin, Slipped off his horse and approached the officer with his head off, so that the homage of the assembled crowd was turned toward this new sun, which eclipsed the former luminary. Monsieur d'Artagnan, Monsieur d'Artagnan, cried Mousqueton, his fat cheeks swelling out and his whole frame perspiring with joy. Monsieur d'Artagnan, oh what joy for my lord and master du Vaillon de Bracieux de Pierrefonds! Thou, good Mousqueton, where is thy master? "'You stand upon his property.' "'But how handsome thou art! "'How fat! "'Thou hast prospered and grown stout!' "'And D'Artagnan could not restrain his astonishment "'at the change good fortune had produced "'on the once famished one. "'Hey, yes, thank God I am pretty well,' said Mousqueton. "'But hast thou nothing to say to thy friend Planchet?' "'How, my friend Planchet! "'Planchet, art thou there?' cried Mousqueton. With open arms and eyes full of tears. My very self, replied Planchette. But I wanted first to see if thou wert grown proud. Proud towards an old friend? Never, Planchette. Thou wouldst not have thought so hadst thou known Mousqueton well. So far so well, answered Planchette, alighting, and extending his arms to Mousqueton. The two servants embraced with an emotion which touched those who were present and made them suppose that Planchette was a great lord in disguise so highly did they estimate the position of Mousqueton. "'And now, sir,' resumed Mousqueton, when he had rid himself of Planchet, who had in vain tried to clasp his hands behind his friend's fat back, "'now, sir, allow me to leave you, for I could not permit my master to hear of your arrival from any but myself. He would never forgive me for not having preceded you.' "'This dear friend,' said D'Artagnan, carefully avoiding to utter either the former name, borne by Porthos. Or his new one, then he has not forgotten me. Forgotten? He? cried Mousqueton. There is not a day, sir, that we don't expect to hear that you were made marshal either instead of M. de Gaston or of M. de Bassompierre. On d'Artagnan's lips there played one of those rare and melancholy smiles which seemed to emanate from the depths of his soul, the last trace of youth and happiness that had survived life's disillusions. And you, fellows, resumed Mousqueton stay near Monsieur le comte d'artagnan and pay him every attention in your power whilst i go to prepare my lord for his visit and mounting his horse mousqueton rode off down the avenue on the grass at a hard gallop ah there there is something promising said d'artagnan no mysteries no cloak to hide oneself in no cunning policy here people laugh outright they weep for joy here i see nothing but faces a yard broad in short, it seems to me that nature herself wears a holiday garb, and that the trees, instead of leaves and flowers, are covered with red and green ribbons as on gala days. As for me, said Planchet, I seem to smell from this place even a most delectable perfume of fine roast meat, and to see the scullions in a row by the hedge, hailing our approach. Ah, sir, what a cook must Monsieur Piafond have, when he was so fond of eating and drinking, even whilst he was only called Monsieur Porthos! say no more cried d'artagnan if the reality corresponds with appearances i am lost for a man so well off will never change his happy condition and i shall fail with him as i have already done with aramis chapter ten